At the beginning of this month, we celebrated Easter. For most of us, we get to the point to where we simply take it for granted that it's Easter. But what are the biblical reasons we should believe in the resurrection of Jesus? Let's talk about that. Biblical reasons to trust and believe the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There are nine biblical reasons specifically that we'll spend our time focusing on over the next few broadcasts here on Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. Welcome to our broadcast. We would invite you to join us here as we take a look at some of these reasons as to why we should believe the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There, after all, some very serious reasons reasonable reasons. Let's take a look at a few of them together, shall we? With our series called A Biblical Examination of the Resurrection, our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse. Mark 16, Mark 16. I want to speak to you this morning on a biblical examination of the resurrection. A biblical examination of the resurrection. So many times we grow accustomed to hearing about the resurrection. We grow accustomed to hearing about Christmas and and all these things kind of flood our minds throughout different times of the year. But I want to spend a little time going over what the Bible says about the resurrection. Because if you know anything about your faith in Christ, you understand first and foremost, it's the power of the resurrection in your life that makes this life even possible. And if Christ were not risen... Let's just pack our bags and go home because there's no sense in being here. Uh, Everything in our faith is based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A number of years ago, I read a story of a man by the name of Frank Morrison. And Frank Morrison was a British lawyer by profession. He was very, very well educated, came from a very fluent background, and in the process of his education, he had been greatly influenced by a number of scholars who actually deny the Bible to be the Word of God. They denied the Bible to be true. They even denied miracles that we know are possible through God's power. Well, philosophically, Frank Morrison became what we would call a skeptic, especially toward Christianity. And he had a lifelong dream. For years, he promised himself that one day he would write a book. And this book was intended for one purpose and one purpose only, to disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because he understood that everything hinged on that. He thought, if I write this book and disprove this silly myth about Christ coming out of the grave, that will put a nail in the coffin of Christianity Christianity finally and forever. And at last in his career, he found time to do so. And Frank Morrison set out to disprove the historic Christian belief that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Well, after months of examining the New Testament documents and examining them very thoroughly, 
he came to one conclusion. He embraced Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. He said the evidence is just too overwhelming. As a result, he wrote the book that in many ways has become a classic apologetic for the resurrection. Maybe you've read it, Who Moved the Stone? Morrison begins his book by saying this. He says, essentially a confession, the inner story of a man who originally set out to write one kind of book and found himself compelled by the sheer force of circumstances to write quite another. That's the power of the truth of the resurrection. That's a wonderful story of how he was converted by God's grace through the truths of the resurrection. But you know what? That shouldn't be surprising to us. That shouldn't surprise us. Because when you look objectively at the evidence for the resurrection throughout Scripture, it's completely overwhelming. It's completely overwhelming. I want you to turn to Mark chapter 16. Hopefully you're there. And I just want to read verses 1 through 8 to kind of lay a foundation kind of a historical backdrop for our message this morning. So Mark chapter 8, it's Mark's account of the, uh, the resurrection. It says, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary, Mag- Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early in the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified? He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were very afraid." The resurrection, brothers and sisters, is the central key, the foundation to our faith in Christ. William Craig says this about it. He says, the real Jesus rose from the dead in confirmation of his radical personal claims of divinity. If Jesus did not rise, then Christianity is a fairy tale, which no rational person should believe. John Locke said this, Our Savior's resurrection is truly of great importance in Christianity. So great that his being or not being the Messiah stands or falls with it. The question I want to ask you this morning, what are the reasons we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? What are the reasons? Obviously, immediately, you can say, well, we believe in the resurrection because it's in the Bible. And that's a good answer. But I want to look at that a little further this morning with you. Because scripture itself presents a number of specific reasons for us to believe in this resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
because it's so foundational, it's so central to the faith that we hold dear, it's a very important subject to cover. The beginning of Christ's ministry, the end of Christ's ministry, everything that Jesus taught, every claim that he made while he was here on earth, it all is based on the resurrection. If Jesus was not raised from the dead, then you do not need to believe anything that he taught. You don't need to know any or accept any of his claims. So this is foundational to our Christian faith. It's at the center of what we believe as as Christians. And so we need to understand these biblical reasons for believing in the resurrection, both to confirm and hopefully to strengthen your faith in Christ. Frankly, to be able to give a a defense of our faith to others as well. So I want to give you nine biblical reasons this morning why you should believe in the resurrection. Before I do that, I want to let you know that some of this study came out of, of these two books that are up on the screen. One by Nathan Busnitz, Reasons We Believe, and the other, The Case for the Resurrection of Jesus. I recommend those highly to you. They're excellent works, and it covers every detail of the resurrection, a lot more than what we're going to be going over today. But let's look at these nine reasons. First of all, the first reason is because of the prophecy of the Old Testament. Why do we believe the resurrection? Because the prophecy of the Old Testament. It prophesied that the future Messiah would physically die, but also that his body would not decay. If you turn over to Psalm 16, we're going to be going through a lot of verses today. So you've got to get your Bibles out or just listen. It might be easier. Uh, psalm 16, verse 8 says, I have set the Lord always before me. This is a psalm of David. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Verse 9 says, Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, he says. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now obviously as you read through that, some of that applies to David. But not all of it. He was the author of this. But there are elements of this psalm that do not pertain to David. In Acts chapter 2 verse 24, Peter argues this using this text. In Acts 2.24, he says, God raised him up, speaking of Christ, loosening the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And then he says, for David says concerning him, and he quotes the passage that we just read out of Psalm 16. And if you look down at verse 29, he says, brothers, Acts 2.29, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both, listen, died and was buried and his tomb is with us today. In other words, his body's still in the grave as opposed to Christ. And he says in verse 30, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with him an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants, on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ. All the way in the Old Testament, in Psalm 16, 
Here's David as a prophet of God. God's giving him, revealing to him this message of the resurrection of Christ. That he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. See, Psalm 16 was the place that Peter decided to go on the day of Pentecost to say this is proof that the Messiah is risen. That the grave, the tomb is empty. And even in Isaiah chapter 53, if you've read Isaiah 53, normally we read that on Good Friday. We read it when we're talking about the death of Christ. It's the explanation why Jesus needed to die. That's basically what Psalm 53 is. What God was doing as he was enduring the wrath of God for our sins. And it tells us in verse 5 of Isaiah 53, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He, speaking of Christ, was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed spiritually. Verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned aside everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We've heard that so many times. We can't forget the glory of the cross. We talked about this a little bit on on Friday, our Good Friday service. The fact that God took the record of your sins, of my sins, every single one of them, every thought, every act, every word, every deed, every time we failed to love God perfectly, every time we failed to love our neighbor as ourselves, Every sinful moment of our lives, he credited that to Jesus Christ on the cross. And as Christ spent those hours on the cross, God poured out on his son what you and I deserved for all eternity as payment for our sin. And Christ was able to secure that debt. He paid it in full because he died. The perfect Lamb of God. See, that's the amazing thing about Christ in his death. And that's what Isaiah deals with. But you know what? It's great that Isaiah 53 doesn't leave Christ dead. Look at what it says in verse 9. It talks about him. It says, they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Joseph of Arimathea. That's a prophecy, another prophecy that was fulfilled. His tomb was that that was borrowed from this rich man, Joseph of Arimathea, for the death and burial of resurrection, or the death and burial of Christ. I always thought about that. I mean, who would want to borrow a tomb? Did you ever think about that? I mean, that's just kind of a gross thing, right? Hey, can I borrow your grave for a couple days? I mean, that's just bizarre. But verse 10 says this, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put Him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his, look at what it says, his offspring. How is he going to see his offspring if he's dead? He shall prolong his days. How does that happen to a dead person? The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. One commentator, Edward Young, says this. He's a wonderful commentator on the book of Isaiah. He says, it is of importance also to note that the servant himself will see the seed If he were to die and remain dead, this would be impossible. 
Hence, this verb makes clear that death will not hold a servant, but rather, after his death, he will again come to life, and as a living one, will see his seed. And because of all these passages that we have in the Old Testament, as a couple, there's others as well, but just for time's sake, we, we don't have time this morning. The earliest Christian creeds based on 1 Corinthians 15, they speak of the resurrection. And they speak of it, it says, he was risen from the dead according to what? According to the scriptures, it says. So we believe in the resurrection because of the Old Testament. The prophecies said that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, would not stay dead, but that he would rise. His body would not see decay. Secondly, we believe in the resurrection because of the prophecy of Jesus himself. This is amazing as well. There's a number of occasions throughout his earthly life when Jesus Christ, our Lord, predicted his own death and his own resurrection. Now, at the time, the disciples didn't get it. They didn't fully understand what he was saying. They had in their mind that Jesus was still going to go to Jerusalem and, and kind of kick the Romans out of their, their, their leadership and take over and free, free them of this bondage that they were under this Roman rule. That's what they thought. They were thinking of a militaristic Messiah. They didn't understand it at the time. But you know what? They did after his resurrection. They remembered. And they recorded a number of those predictions. One is in Mark chapter 8, verse 31. Mark chapter 8, verse 31. This is after Peter's confession. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Remember when he said that? This is near the end of Jesus's ministry. And in verse 31, Mark chapter 8, it says, He began to teach them, saying that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again. And then Mark Poltz throws this in there in verse 32. He says, and he said this plainly. In other words, he didn't, you know, use big language. He said it very simply. Yeah, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to die. But after three days, I'm going to rise from the dead. And the disciples still didn't get it. This is where, of course, Peter decides to rebuke Jesus, which wasn't a very good idea. In Mark chapter 9, verse 30, 30 and 31, it says, They went from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching the disciples, saying to them, here's another occasion, the man, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. You would think the disciples would go, didn't you just say that, Jesus? Mark chapter 10, verse 33. They're on the road going up to Jerusalem. It's about a week before his crucifixion. Verse 32 says, and they were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them and they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid and taking the 12, he began to tell them what was to happen to him saying, see, we're going up to Jerusalem and the son of man, oh, here we go again, will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles and they will mock him and they will spit on him and they will flog him and they will kill him. And after three days, he will rise. <laughs> it's amazing the detail that is in Jesus's words here because each one of those things happened verbatim even in mark chapter 20 uh, chapter 14 verse 28 mark 14 verse 28 
This is kind of one last time. Jesus, he gives it one last shot with his disciples. He says in verse 27, And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Verse 28, But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Christ was proclaiming, I will be raised from the dead. I will not remain in the tomb. Now, after Jesus' resurrection, after this predicted event takes place, it's interesting that both the angel on the day of his resurrection and the Lord himself, they refer back to these predictions. Look at Luke chapter 24, verse 6. This is the angel. When they get to the tomb, he says, he's not here, verse 6, but he is risen. And then the angel begins to lecture them. Remember how he told you? While he was still in Galilee, for the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise. And it says in verse 8, and they remembered his words. It's kind of like an aha moment. Have you ever had one of those? Oh, yeah, now I get it. That's kind of what happened. See, clearly the disciples were supposed to be encouraged about the reality of the resurrection from Jesus. From his own prediction. And so are we. We're to be encouraged by that. Hendrickson writes this, Those reminders served, as it were, to pull the rope that caused the bell of memory to ring so that faith was strengthened. See, when we look at the resurrection, it's just not another, oh, here's the Easter, yeah, he's going to talk about the resurrection. This is something that's central, that's foundational to our faith. And it should edify us, it should build us up in our faith. It says they remembered he did say that. Wow, you know what? I remember him even telling us this was going to happen. And everything that he told us is coming to fruition, it's true. We believe the resurrection because of the prophecy of the Old Testament. We also believe the resurrection because of the prophecy of Jesus himself. But thirdly, because of the certainty of his death. We believe in the resurrection because Jesus died. That may sound a little odd at first. But it's it's very important to understand the certainty of Jesus' death. What do I mean by that? What I'm simply saying is that we believe in the resurrection because, you know what? Jesus was really dead. He was really dead in that tomb. All four Gospels, as well as the rest of the New Testament, record, they document the fact that Jesus was finally executed by crucifixion and that he truly died. A biblical examination of the resurrection, reasons to believe that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is real, nine biblical reasons that we're looking at here on Graceful Truth, the ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week, and we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade 5. And if you would like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. 
We meet at 2225 Euclid Avenue here in Redwood City. Directions are on our website, gracefultruth.org, or again, simply call 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. And again, we'd love to have you join us for worship. Simply call for directions or go to our website, gracefultruth.org. While you're at our website, make sure to check out the resource materials available from us here at Graceful Truth, including past programs of Graceful Truth that you can download for free. GracefulTruth.org is where to go. If you're writing to us, our address is 2225 Euclid Avenue. That's 2225 Euclid Avenue. We're here in Redwood City. The zip code is 94061. And again, our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. I'd also like to let you know that our Grace Bible Church Women's Ministry 2018 Spring Conference is coming up. The author and guest speaker will be Cynthia Heald, known best for her best-selling Bible study, Becoming a Woman of Excellence. Now, the conference will take place out of 1 John, Chapter 2 and verse 6, Living Like Jesus. It's May 18th through the 19th, Friday the 18th at 7 p.m. through 8.30, and then Saturday the 19th at 9 a.m. through 2.30. It'll take place here at the church, 2225 Euclid Avenue here in Redwood City. Breakfast is included as well as lunch. Total conference cost, just $20, with a love offering taken both Friday and Saturday evening. For more information, visit our website, gracebibleonline.org. We thank you for spending time with us today and trust we'll see you next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse.